So this bolt of lightning shot across the universe and inspired me with the idea that we have to do a podcast. And that's what I wanted to tell you. We should do a podcast. Okay, bye. Okay. All right. Uh, I did it. I pressed record. I pressed record. Okay. Welcome to Feature Creep. Colon. Built-in microwave. Semi. Semi. Colon. Uh, the ugliest color in the world. <clears throat> so that's the sound it makes. Excuse me. Yeah, this is definitely the more uh, like more Pantone bullshit continued. Um, this is uh, so. This is really interesting. I found out about this the other day. I don't remember somebody mentioned it or I was reading an article or something. But um, the the Australian Department of Health uh, they commissioned a study to find the least attractive color because they um the idea was basically that they well what they do is they put it on all uh cigarette packs so all packs of cigarettes have to be basically the bulk of this color hideous yeah and so um (laughs) the ugliest color is uh the reason i say more pantone bullshit is because um it's they reference the pantone color um so Pantone is really just like a color reference system. Uh, there yes. are better ones, but this is the one. <laughs> but um, for some reason, just like Zoom and how there are yeah. way better like video conferencing technologies out there, we got stuck with Pantone and Zoom. Yeah, I don't so know why. so the color the the Pantone color is four four eight C whatever. Um, but it also let me see actually if we can. Um, yes, here we go. So the hexadecimal triplet. Um, which we often reference our colors of the day with uh, <clears throat> is Octothorpe 4A412A. Again, that's Octothorpe 4 Alpha 412 Alpha. Um, <laughs> I like it when when you pronounce the like do the, the letters. Do the NATO the NATO alphabet? Um, yes. Yeah. So um, also the RGB values are 74, 65, 42. If that's some way you can visualize it, essentially. Um, what this color is or what it's brown but it's not just any brown no it's like the worst brown it's like all of the unattractive things about brown which i kind of like as a color yes yeah like i don't hate it but this is awful it it's like where it is in the color spaces so it's darker than neutral gray um and it is it's a little more yellow green than it is red orange. Just a hair, um, maybe. Ugh, yeah. It's it's hard to say. Um, <clears throat> when you look at it, so originally it was referred to um, the health department, the Australian health department, originally referred to it as olive green. Mm, this is not an not olive. Though. Yeah, it's not the olive green that most people would think of, or like an olive drab, like sort of military, you know, color. Um, no, but they so they changed the name after the Australian Olive Association was like, uh, excuse me, hang on a second. You can't name the ugliest color. You can't olive. use olive in the term in the ugliest color. No um, way. So it's it's an interesting. So, yeah. So basically the Australian government was like, OK, well, we need to have we need to do something about these cigarette packs and we need to make them unattractive or make sure that basically there's no way to make them look beautiful. They need to be, yeah. you know, everything about them needs to be a, a, a 
repellent. Yeah, repellent. So what they yeah. did was they um, they kind of commissioned this study, and they basically the study came up with this this sort of dark drab brown, um, and it was I, my understanding is they probably had some like you know some sample groups where people looked at colors, and this was the one that people responded to the least. Um, Ugh, yes, and positively. <laughs> You know, there's someone out there who's like, this is my favorite color. Um, yeah. I mean, oh, my God. Maybe I, in some ways it is my favorite color for being the ugliest color. Uh, I mean, in it a is, way, it is exemplary. Yeah. It's like superlative. It is. It's hideousness. Yes. Yep. It is the most hideous. So, I mean, oh, for there's, that. Yeah. It deserves some recognition. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so this is interesting. There's a um, there's a. Uh, so there's a system mm-hmm. um, of color designation, and it is the ISCC-NBS, and it's a system for naming colors based on a set of 12 basic color terms and a small set of adjective modifiers. This is great. Um, I don't know how we didn't know about this before, so let's yeah. talk about that in a minute. Um, but for the time being, the 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 relevant information here is that um, using that system, this this ugliest color is referred to as dark grayish olive. Oh. Um, well, I mean that's accurate. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um grayish. Grayish, yeah. I mean, there's definitely like if you stare at a, a swatch of it long enough. Yeah. The the green and yellow kind of sludgy undertones come through. Mm-hmm. And uh, like it reminds me of what is it called when babies poop their first poop? Mecomium? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like this black tar awful crap that comes out of their intestines when they first poop. Right. And it's like right. yeah. that fucking color. Yeah, it's gross. It's just, it's really gross. Um, I don't even know where to begin with how gross it is. Um, <laughs> it's super gross. Like, it's the nothing in nature that is good or edible or that you should touch or consume is this color ever right right yeah so interestingly um the complementary color to this uh and i'm going to send it to you in the chat so we can both look at it the complementary color to this uh this sort of ugliest color is not a great color either um which i find kind of interesting so it's a um, the complementary color. So the way you calculate complementary colors is that you, um, like when they sum together, I forget how you calculate it. Let's, let's hold on. Let's just cover that really quickly. Um, color. So, uh, before I tell you about that, so we can keep talking, complementary colors are a pair of colors, which were when combined or mixed, cancel each other out by producing, producing a grayscale color like white or black. So oh, okay. basically what they do is that they, um, when they're combined or like when their values are combined, not necessarily like mixing paint or crayons, right? We're just talking about sort of color values when they're combined, the resulting color value is a grayscale color. It doesn't mean that it would be white or black. It just means that mm-hmm. it's the same, essentially the same uh, tone of gray yeah. um, that they both are equivalent to. So the complementary color for um, the ugliest color is, uh, the value for that is octothorpe 382 alpha 4 alpha. Um, that's octothorpe 382 alpha 4 alpha. And that is a kind of plum. 
Yeah, like a it's purple. It's like the most disappointing purple ever. Yeah, yeah, it's a very disappointing purple. Um, this is like if somebody was like, my favorite color is purple, you'd be like, oh, yay, I love purple. And they'd be like, well, it's this purple, though. And you'd be like, oh. Yeah, yeah. It's like seeing it alone, you're just kind of like, is it purple, though? I don't know. Yeah. It's a really gross industrial color. Like, yeah. Like if you had to paint pipes in a building, you'd paint them this color because this was just what was left over from right. the other paints yes. that you mixed together or yes. something. Right. <laughs> Nobody chooses this color on purpose. Right. <laughs> like you had some bright blue paint, but you had way more black paint. And yeah. someone was like, well, you can't paint, paint those pipes black. So you're like, okay. I guess I'll paint them this color. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. It's like a gross color. It's not. It's also not a happy color. It's a. It it's is a fun hating color. It is a fun hating color. <laughs> <laughs> this color is like I'm gonna narc you out the first chance I get. Uh huh. <laughs> um. So yeah. So this is an interesting. So let's now let's pivot for a second and talk about yes. this ISCC NBS system. Um, yes. Those of you who've been following along on our podcast will probably know we we have a, a weird obsession with um, color naming and and uh, mm. I shouldn't say it's that weird. It all started with the Pantone bullshit episode where Pantone right. released some. You know, we just started thinking about how fucked up it is that they they are the ones that choose a color of the year. And I mean, they're self appointed, right? Like, you know, yes. fuck that. You know, everybody's just been like, oh, Pantone told us what the color of the year is. Um, <laughs> And then when you look back at the history of the colors of the year, like they write all this like magical properties about what that color means and what it represents. Mm-hmm. And all of that's fine and a little tongue in cheek, except they A, they take themselves too seriously. And B, um, when you when you put out a color by itself, it has very little value. It's hard to ascribe any of those values to it because it's not in context. And so you have nothing to compare it to. And eventually your eyes just see sort of your brain normalizes it to a weird sort of gray, right? Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. Because yes. you don't need it to pop or stand out or anything. And so, right. um, which is funny because we had, when we ep- released that episode, we both were kind of in agreement that you needed to at least have two colors for reference. You can't, yes. you can't have a color of the year. You need to have two colors no. of the year or a, like, you know, a palette or something to work with. Um, yeah. And so, uh, given that, um, the, the very next year, they released two fucking colors of the year. And not only that, but um they were uh they were also kind of hilarious because they basically they were kind of like ripping off like some pretty fucking good art right like it was it was yeah. basically like it was uh wasn't it a banana duct taped to a wall or something like that yes they totally stole the like they stole the the color scheme from the most absurd art at Art Basel that year. Yes, which, that's the right. Art Basel yes. Miami, which was a banana duct taped to a wall. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So, which was funny because then it was it it kind of, you know, I was thinking like, oh man, were they listening to our podcast that they were re- right. ranting and raving about how bullshit one fucking color. I I, I mean, wouldn't I be surprised. I think we should take credit for it. Yeah, no, I think we should. I mean, it's certainly possible that they did. <laughs> like we plastered Pantone all over our podcast like references. Did, if yes. the, if anyone at Pantone was googling, they would have found Themselves. that eventually. <laughs> yeah. Um anyway, so <laughs> all, all fine and good. Uh I forget. Oh, so 
yeah, so this obsession with color name, and not really obsession, well, yeah, obsession, whatever. Um, yeah, it's this, an obsession. It is an obsession with color naming um, or the idea of colors, and that's when we came up with the uh, website objectcolor.com. Um, so that's where uh, we often... That's where our colors are, yeah. That's where our colors are, and you can generate your own colors of the day there, mm-hmm. um, which is m- much more practical, I feel like. Um, it is. Uh, just as an example, I'm looking at um, – here, I'll put this in the chat. Uh, here's some colors that we could use for one of the days. They won't be this day's colors. They'll just be um, – but here's uh, – like, so who's ever heard of direct neurosurgeon, that color? Oh. It's a weird kind of salmon. It's uh, – the value it for is that is uh, – and you can just pop this in Google if you don't know um, – so when we give the hexadecimal values for the colors, if you put them directly in Google, it will immediately show you that color in a in a little color palette. So, um, <clears throat> or in a, like a color picker. But uh, anyway, the value of direct neurosurgeon is sort of would you describe it as like a weird off salmon? It's like um, so yes. Salmon, but like salmon when you go to Florida and they paint the outside of a building this Yes, color. yeah. And so that is uh, Octothorpe or hashtag for you, uh, you, you so inclined. Um, hashtag, uh, what is it? F-A-6-E-4-D. So that's, um, what is F? I forget my NATO. Foxtrot. Foxtrot, thank you. Uh, yeah, so that's Foxtrot Alpha 6 Echo 4 Delta. Uh, that's direct neurosurgeon and it's complementary color and uh, or paired color of the day mm-hmm. or, you know, in this in this moment, color of the instance for this particular conversation <laughs> is pol- polynomial polyhymnia. Hymnia. Yes. Polynomial polyhymnia. And that value is um, is going to be hash zero five nine or one beta two. I need to look at polyhymnia, Bravo even two. though I th- think I know what it means. Yeah. Um, so again, that's hashtag zero five nine or one Bravo two. Uh, anyway, so yeah, so we kind of we we sort of created this object color uh, dot com website um, for people to also appreciate our interest in in obscure color names. So uh, what was I saying? Oh right. So this. Pol- oh god. Yeah. yeah. Poly- uh, polyimnia or polymnia, depending on how you spell it and pronounce it alternatively. It was Greek in Greek mythology was the muse of sacred poetry, sacred hymn, dance and eloquence, as well as agriculture and pantomime. Oh, interesting. So we have polynomial polyhymnia. I that's a good one. Yeah. That's a fucking solid one. All right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and also, I if if you are interested in this website uh if you do go to objectcolor.com or you have questions about how it was made or, or any of those things um let us know we'd have we could do a whole, i could do a whole podcast talking about how we, how yeah. we built that um but yeah let us know and you can always get a hold of us you can email us directly you can email dana our executive assistant that's d-a-n-a at fcbm.io i'm trying to put that more at the front because i think that a lot of people listen to our podcast like like most of the way through and it occurred to me that um, maybe having that at the beginning would encourage people to, you know, reach out if they want to. Um, there are a lot of listeners, according to the data um, or the sort of analytics, but who knows who they are? Um, yeah. I mean, we know we still know for sure that there's two or three that listen with. Yes. Regularity. Yeah. And also, they tell us. <laughs> also, my friend um, told me that she also puts our podcasts on for her dog when she leaves because the sound oh of our voices um like keeps him calm so he doesn't bark um That's so which is great. it is pretty great 
Um, we may drive you crazy, but your dog loves us. <laughs> right. <laughs> your dog can't get enough of us. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, uh, cool. So this, this, uh, this naming system, the ISCC NBS system of color designation, uh, it's, According to Wikipedia, it's a system, like I said, for naming colors based on a set of 12 basic color terms and a small set of additive modifiers. Um, it was first established in the 1930s by a joint effort of the Inter-Society mm. Color Council. Oh, oh that sounds like a fun group of people. God, like there's, this I is like amazing. The... Oh, my God. Uh, where did you find this? Send me the link. Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, I must see. Yeah. You should follow along. Um, so uh, those of you who are at home and you're wondering what the fuck we're looking at, we're looking at the Wikipedia entry for um, uh, where did that go now for the uh, ISCC NBS system. Um, yes. I will say if you also look up the the Pantone 448C uh, Wikipedia article, I got this uh. on the like Wikipedia has the little like. Um, the sort of little data box on the right, like the statistics box that has like specific information. So over there it has like the Pantone color and then down below it has various values. And one of them is the IS, the ISCC dash NBS descriptor value. And I clicked on that, which is how I ended up getting to this webpage. Um, anyway, so, so we now know <laughs> that the ISCC stands for uh, Inter-Society Color Council. Um, that is such a great name because, like, I love that they use both society and council. Like, it's almost yes, redundant. Yes. <laughs> the it's international. So say it again. International, international Society Color Council. Society. Color. Yeah, and council. that's a there's a hyphen between inter and society, so it's inter society, and um and they so this. It was established by this joint effort between the inter the inter society color council um, and some delegates from various American trade organizations and the National wow. Bureau of Standards. Whoa. So that's where the NBS. So the the ISCC, the International, or sorry, the Inter Society Color Council dash the National Bureau of Standards system. Um, uh, and wow. yeah, so the NBS or the National Bureau of Standards is a, a government agency. Um, so I think I think it's funny how like in German, all of these words are like spelled out and the German words become enormously long and complicated, but they're just a mashup of a bunch of words. And we're like, yeah, that's too hard. And we just like abbreviate everything into acronyms. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> so the Can really I just use the first letter of every word. OK, cool. Right. Right. <laughs> so the other really cool thing about like. You're kind of wondering, like, well, why would why would somebody need to come up with a system like this? Or maybe you haven't thought about it much or you already know. But mm -hmm. um, I didn't realize that there was really specific reasons, especially why probably the National Bureau of Standards was involved. Um, so the idea was that uh, the goal was to come up with a, a system of designating colors in the United States pharmacopoeia. Um, oh. And in the national formulary um, and in general literature. Uh, but basically... I can imagine in the pharmacopoeia, the whole thing is like, well, you need to write down descriptions of colors of pills. Like in the 1930s, making a full color, you know, booklet with nice images and like well-matched colors. Um, this is where somebody in Pantone's like, fuck you. That's where we come in. We helped people mm -hmm. match colors in print to things that exist in the world. Anyway. Um, 
don't step on her toes. Come at me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I want come at me, bro, to be the pan cone color of the year. For <laughs> we need to make a subset of objectcolor.com that's like uh, draws from like, say, like, um, what's the uh, urbandictionary.com as the sort of yes. source of like terrible word, like terrible phrases. Oh, my God. That'll I'm be project down. number yes. two. Yeah, definitely do that. Urban dictionary, terrible phrases. Yeah. So, um, okay. So, anyway, yeah. we were, where were we? Okay. So, uh, yeah. So, pharmacopoeia, you know, you're, I, I can see why this is really important is you want to have, um, this is all about, this is arguing semantics, right? Like you want the yep. words to mean a specific thing because you want to be able to write in the book that this pill has a blue and white capsule or something like that. And when you yeah. say that, it's not, um, you know, it's not sky blue or violet. It's like a particular mm-hmm. blue, um, mm-hmm. you know, and so in this case, it would be, uh, <clears throat> Like I'm just kind of looking and they have they have these modifiers like it would be like very light blue or, um, you know, very pale <laughs> blue. Like all of these things have specific meaning. So it's pretty interesting. Um, anyway, so they so came are, up with this. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. So no, you, I think you might actually just be getting to the thing I was going to ask a question about. Never mind. OK, well, <laughs> so they came up with this system. Um, to, to kind of solve that. And like they tried to standardize it. Um, and so it was first published in the journal of research of the national bureau of standards. Um, and the ISCC formally approved the system. So that's interesting. The inter, the inter-society color council had some sway over this. Like they, they're the ones that approved the system that, uh, you know, was being put forth. So, uh, Mm That's a, this is fascinating. I'm like I'm actually like hanging in, on your words right now. Yeah. So <laughs> what so, happened next? Okay. So then, so so they approved this system, and the system consisted of a set of blocks within okay. the color space defined by the Munsell color system, as embodied by the Munsell Book of Color. What? Wow. So okay. I don't know what any of these things are. So what is the Munsell color system? Interesting question. Um, the Munsell color system. How do you Munsell? M U N S E L L. S E L L sounds like someone's last name. Right, and the yeah. Munsell color system is a color space that specifies colors based on three properties of color: hue, which is the basic color; chroma, the intensity of that color; and value, lightness. Oh um, yes, of course. So I think actually, um, oftentimes when I've described the colors of the day. I've kind of convoluted hue with what I really mean is lightness. Typically when I speak of lightness, I think what they mean. So um, this is actually, there's a, a pretty good diagram and I think I can describe this pretty well. So yes. imagine um, you have a, if people are familiar with a top or a um, gyroscope, if you've ever played with a gyroscope um, as a kid, essentially there's a central axis with a wheel on it, right? And so yes. in that center, in that rod that goes through, like if you basically had, um, if you don't know what any of these things are, imagine you have a Frisbee, a disc, a plate, you have a flat circular object, and right through the center you put a a pole, like a, you know, or a rod. And so... Mm-hmm. Um, when you're looking at that, you can imagine that at the so if the rod is pointing down towards the ground, the base of the rod, the very bottom tip of the rod is your color black, your like absolute black or value of zero, right? For blackness. And then as yeah. you go up the rod and you go up to the top of the rod, that's your absolute white value, and that's 10. And so the mm-hmm. values between um 
the bottom of the rod and the top of the rod are like basically zero to 10 for your, your value. And that's the grayscale, right? Now, sure, how much black or white is in the exactly in the mix? Yeah, <laughs> and so when you move away from the rod, out of out from the rod, out to the edge of the disc, you go from a value of um, zero in chroma, and so chroma is how intense the color is. And so from going from the center of the rod or the center of the disc out to the edge of the disc, you're going from no chroma all the way to complete intense chroma of a value of 12 and so then as you go around the disc you move through the colors of the rainbow right like you kind of go from blue to purple blue to purple to red purple red yellow mm-hmm. red yellow green yellow yep. green blue green blue and so you're kind of moving clockwise around or counterclockwise doesn't really matter as you go around the circle you're moving through the different hues Mm-hmm. And as you move out from the center of the disc, you're moving through the chroma. And as you go up and down the rod, you're moving through the the value. So that's Got how it. they've defined that color space as reference. And so um, I like the differences in the ways that people contextualize what color is and how to like. Yeah. Yeah. Move through the colors as they relate to each other. Yes. Yeah. No, I think it's really, it's very fascinating. Um, yeah. I had, I had never heard the one that you just described with the, you know, with the rod and the. I, neither had I. Like stuff. just, I had never. It makes perfect been. sense. Yeah. No, it's a, it's actually kind of a very, um, it sounds complicated if you, I would encourage you to look up the Munsell color system if you're interested in this just to get a sense of it. Um, yeah. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe people are listening to our podcast who've you know, found us through art and designer, like these fucking amateurs, like, you know, they're thinking, <laughs> they're thinking like, you know, they're hoping they're going to listen to like a real like professional podcast about art and, about design. Art and design. Yeah. And we're like, eh, you know, um, I mean, we're kind of art geniuses in a, a couple of ways. Yes. Yeah. We just don't really do much with that on this podcast. <laughs> right. Right. I don't know. I would argue it's its own work of art. We do. In its way. We're we fucking do. awesome. Yeah. We're cool. We're, we're great. Um, we're the cool kids. Yeah. We're, we're the cool kids. Actually, I don't know that we care for the cool kids. Um, no, I guess that makes us the cool kids. The, the people we thought were the cool kids are all frauds, and so that's right. We are the cool kids. That's yeah. what we found out. <laughs> that's right. That's what we found out. So um, anyway, so back to back to the ISCC dash NBS, which is again right. the Inter Society Color Council dash the National Bureau of Standards and their system. Um, and so they had they had basically created the system which consisted of a set of blocks within the color space defined by the Munsell color system so that right. color space the basically the the grayscale rod with the color wheel um yep. that as you move out to the edges of it becomes more intense or the hue the sorry the chroma becomes more intense so um uh, so they basically, over the following decades, the system's boundaries were tweaked and its uh, relation to various other color standards were defined, including, for instance, those for plastics, building materials, botany, paint, and soil. And just as a side note, um, especially if you have listened to our Pantone bullshit episode um, or you haven't and you'd like to, we, I mean, I think it's a good one that we reference it a yeah. lot, but... Um, Essentially, a lot of our criticism for Pantone had to do with like, who do you think you are and why do you exist? Um, yep. And why are you, why do you get to play this middleman? Well, what, like, you know, whether you agree with it or not, what they have, what they've done is they've tried to create, um, they're basically like a, 
they're a company that tries to help you normalize and work with colors that move between different standards. Because uh-huh. again, like when you're, I, I think this is less relevant now. Like as we move forward in time, like the technology allows for a much wider range of color representation on all kinds of media, right? But at yep. some point, your ability to color, say, plastic or, or to create paint or mm-hmm. to, um, you know, any, any kind of material that you were using, including like what kind of colors you could display on a computer monitor, those were much more limited. And so translating between those spaces, what was much more complicated um, because you are oftentimes like, you know, their best example is like the Coke red, right. Where you're trying to, Mm -hmm. you know, you have, make sure the colors the same everywhere, right. Make sure the colors the same everywhere so that when you put a billboard up that has a big Coke, you know, Coke can on it, it matches the same color as the Coke can that you're holding, um, right. you know, or that you're selling in stores, et cetera. Or even, you know, if you have different manufacturers. Anyway, so that's that's what they do. Um, again, that's a separate issue. Listen to that episode. We we say lots of fun, interesting things in that episode. So Genius. Geniuses. <laughs> <laughs> super inspired. Yeah, super inspired. Okay, so where was I? So they, uh, so <laughs> over time, um, these this this system has been what I would describe as like normalized as it's been used and time has gone forward and they've and there's been um, more standards become available and they're trying to basically tweak it to match these various other color standards. Um, mm-hmm. So after the definition of the Munsell system was slightly altered by its 1943 uh, renotations, renotations. Do mm. I know that word? Renotations? Renotations. Renotations, of course. Yeah. Renotation as in it was notated and now it's been renotated. Um, yes. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that's my guess. Yes. When I So side note, yeah. when people talk yes. and I listen to them, I think both in images of what they're talking about. So I have like an abstract conceptualization of what they're saying in my mind. Yeah. But I also see the words that they're saying as if... They're scrolling across the screen almost like captions. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so um, this leads to unintentional hilarity from time to time when somebody says a word and the way that it spells out in my mind like has to correct itself as if the cursor or the delete key is working. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> so And when you when you said what I you like, said, I my brain wasn't sure how to make that word appear in my in my, <laughs> in my awesome. mental imagery. <laughs> like, that's awesome. How I, what how do I spell this? <laughs> well, I this may be an error in the Wikipedia article. Just for reference, we're pulling this article April thirtieth, uh, twenty twenty one. Um yes. and this is the uh SS or sorry, the ISCC dash NBS underscore system reference. Um or web page so uh according to um i i can't find renotations as a word so probably isn't (laughs) yeah so it's probably isn't a word um Mm -hmm. although it it has been used um Hmm. it's (laughs) well where it's been used is uh interesting so the on the website, the Munsell Renotation Data. So this website is www.rit.edu. Uh, so the Rochester Institute of Technology uh, uses the term renotation at their as their header on their on this page about the Munsell Renotation. So 
1940, the color science community recognized that the most visually uniform color space to date, the Munsell color order system, had inconsistencies that required examination and remedy. Towards this goal, a large-scale visual experiment was taken with many observers across several continents. The results amounted to an adjustment of the target color coordinates for the Munsell colors. Um, I don't Mm, see... That's fascinating. So there was a report... Oh, this is hilarious. There's a report entitled <laughs> One Set of Munsell Re-Re-Notations. <laughs> Re-Re-Notation. <laughs> uh, by Dean B. Judd and Dorothy Nickerson was issued by the National Bureau of Standards, now NIST, in 1967. This is just amazing. So this report is definitely... Um, I'm just I'm just looking at a copy of it now and want to find the title. So... Yeah, yes. one set of Munsell re-re-notations, so re-re-notations. Okay, fantastic. Wow. Um, okay, so anyway, uh, the system was slightly altered uh, in 1943. Um, so again, we're back to talking about this this ISCC-NBS system, um, this yes. sort of color terms uh, system for naming, naming colors. Um, so it was re- redefined in the 1950s in relation to the new Munsell coordinates, uh, in 1955, the color names. Uh, so in 1955, NBS published the Color Names Dictionary. Man, I, we need to get a copy of that. Um, yeah. Which cross-referenced terms from several other color systems and dictionaries uh, relating them to the ISCC-NBS system and thereby to each other. Um, so and then in 1964, NBS published the Centroid Color Charts, made up of color samples demonstrating the central color in each category as a physical representation of the system usable by the public, and also published the Universal Color Language, um, wow. a more general system for color designation with various degrees of precision from completely generic uh, 13 broad categories to extremely precise numeric values from spectrophotometric measurement. Um, <laughs> amazing. Yeah, really amazing. And then in 1976, the Color Names Dictionary and the Universal Color Language were combined and updated with the publication of Color, colon, Universal Language and Dictionary of Names, oh. uh, the definitive source of the ISCC-NBS system. Um, color, colon. Yeah, so... Uh, at this point, you're probably asking yourself, okay, fine, whatever, but what the fuck does this mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and what this means is... What does it all mean? Question was asked, Meg. A question was asked. Um, <laughs> so the uh, essentially, there's a backbone of this. There, like, So the ISCC-NBS system has a set of 13 basic color categories. It has 10 hue names and three neutral categories. So you can guess the three neutral categories, which is white, black, and gray. That's pretty easy. And then you can guess the other 10 hues are ba- your basic colors, right? Like pink, red, yeah, orange, like brown, Roy yellow. Yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Although, interestingly, yellow-green is a, is a separate color category. So you have yellow, green, and you have yellow-green. So that's um, – I don't really – I've never really Weird. thought – it. that almost begs for – a totally new color name. Yeah. Because everything else is a single word descriptor of these values. And then you have this yellow green. Um, hmm. Interesting. I don't know. Maybe that's yeah. something we could tackle at a, you know, what would you call yellow green? I think we are exactly the people to fix this problem. I think so too. Yeah. Um, all right. So then after you have this sort of 13 basic color categories or 10 hues and, and the three neutrals, um, 
then you have uh, a further 16 intermediate categories. And so the intermediate categories are essentially um, when you have, uh, well, and this is where it gets a little confusing. So you have, <laughs> yes. so you've got, you've got sort of, instead of red and orange, like mm-hmm. you've got reddish orange and orange yellow, and you've got greenish yellow and yellowish green and bluish green and greenish blue and purplish blue and violet and reddish purple and purplish red and purplish pink, you know, so you've got these issues, right? And then yes. you've got your olive brown and your olive green. Ah! Um, so, uh, yeah. And then, um, and then <laughs> further from there, um, they can be again subdivided into uh, 267 named categories by combining a hue name with modifiers. So the modifiers that you can use are things like vivid, brilliant, strong, deep, very deep, very light, light, moderate, dark. So, um, ah. and then there's lots of um, ishes. So there's ish white, there's ish gray, ish gray, or sorry, light ish gray. Um, so you can be like light yellowish gray, like that kind of um, yeah. kind of thing. So, um, and so, however, not all modifiers apply to every hue. For example, there is no brilliant brown or very deep pink. Oh, why not? Uh, I mean, I think so. One of the things that I think is that it's important to recognize that these words have really specific value meanings, right? So yes. it's not okay. these aren't sort of qualitative um descriptors like if I say oh that's a reddish purple um that's a that's a specific value in this system and so yeah. it's not so when they probably the reason that there's no brilliant brown is that whatever whatever actual color you might try to apply that to it's already covered by an existing naming scheme um that's my guess uh yeah. you know that said um I don't know. I mean, it, it's the whole point of this, right, is to have a very, like, very standardized way of referencing colors in written language. Um, yeah. Obviously, these days, um, you can be really precise by using other color spaces um, or other co- kind of ways of describing colors. So, in but, other words, are we saying that the ISCC-NBS system is the definitive color system and Pantone can just fuck themselves or are they do they do different things um i think that they all attempt they all it i think that that question it's hard for me to answer that question right now because i'm probably not as educated about this as we could be clearly by just the fact that we've just scratched the surface um i think that uh well for one thing pantone brings brings service to an idea right um, yes. In theory, I don't know. I've never worked with them. I don't know if they actually do that or whether they just like sit on their laurels and publish shit and try to make sort of basically have just declared themselves as like the the sort of the sort of antiquated design darlings of the design world or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, <laughs> it could be any of those things. Somewhere in between. I don't. I don't know. Um, but I do know that, uh, like. You know, Pantone just dis- like they've just made a company and a business around this, and you know maybe their success just hinges on the fact that they've snagged some really good contracts, and otherwise they're just one other competitor. And the ISCC NBS system is you know has more. For one thing, um, the IS the ISCC NBS uh, 
just the fact that they originally, when this formed, this system um, was attempting to address something like the pharmacopoeia. Uh, that's a that's a a real problem, right? Like you sure. want to be able to. Um, so they Easily were providing a solution to a specific problem, and then they were also addressing some of these other problems. So I would say I. You know, Pantone probably just was like, "Oh, well, we could make some, you know, some money doing more of that." Um, yeah. And whether they threw out the IS the ISCC NBS system or they make use of it, I don't know. That that remains like the, that kind of is the question I would have is like, what is their relationship to this system? Right. Um, what are some of the other color systems? I mean, that's you know, there's all yeah. kinds of. Um, and before we even go there, I did want to look at the Inner Society Color Council. Um, so the Inner Society Color Council was created in 1931 to advance the understanding and application of visual colors that relates to science, industry, and art. Um, oh. And it that's, also... See, that's like... I Maybe we're unaware of it, but I'm not aware of anything that Pantone did that's that specific. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. the mission there. Yeah, I don't know... Um, I don't know that much about, uh, I mean, what we learned about Pantone or what we kind of discussed about Pantone was much more like modern day. Um, yeah. It's, you know, I mean, they're best known, like Pantone is best known for their Pantone matching, matching system, right? Like the Pantone yep. kind of, you know, like the color of the year kind of thing. Um, yeah, I think of them as like super oriented around like capitalist marketing, yeah, yeah. I mean, that is their. So they began in the 1950s. So they um, and they were kind of a or they were a commercial printing company, um, mm -hmm. and they were advertising executives. And so they, and you can see that. I mean, their thing is they are like Pantone is this kind of holdover from Mad Men, right? Like that's their, yeah. like that's their kind of their jam. Like that's where they were born, right. and that's their whole thing. Um, and you can see that in the way that their uh, like their colors are that way. Like the fact that they even release a color of the year, um, yeah. And then you think of it, like the color naming, and when they talk about it, it's all marketing and emotional play, and and um, and that's kind of their their whole thing, right? So, mm -hmm. um, you know, the fact, like you know, in I feel like yeah. they give. I feel like Pantone gives. <laughs> people are gonna be so mad when i say this i feel like pantone gives um interior designers or people who refer to themselves as interior designers a reason to like validate their existence <laughs> right yeah yeah <laughs> like <laughs> like oh i'm an interior designer and i have all these like rich fickle clients and so in order for me to keep making money i'm just gonna redecorate their house every year with the pantone color of the year well right i mean that is that's the yeah that was kind of our biggest gripe with pantone was right. was the capitalist drive to invalidate your previous consumption and drive consumption of new goods, right? Like yeah. consume more new colors, consume new styles, stay with the times, you know, hire your interior decorator, you know, change your, change your environment, do these things. Um, and, you know, uh, I mean, just looking at the color of the year, like one of their quotes is, uh, <laughs> is, <laughs> and this is basically it's like hilarious already. And I don't even know what it yeah. is. You know, basically Pantone stating, and I love how Wikipedia um, 
Wikipedia reports this. The color purportedly connects with the zeitgeist. Uh-huh. And I love that they've inserted that um, qualifier purportedly, purportedly, um, right. as appears or is stated to be true, though not necessarily so, i.e. allegedly. Um, <laughs> and so... <laughs> you just... Re- well, I love that, like, with regard to the Art Basel theme of, yes. like, the banana and the duct tape, like, are you purportedly capturing the zeitgeist or are you just ripping off somebody's art that was not meant to be serious in the first place right yes <laughs> like you guys have so little sense of humor that you don't realize that like the banana and the duct tape were satire yes yes <laughs> you should have just called the pantone color color pair of the year satire right. satire at art basel <laughs> um so uh you know, I mean, our, uh, most of our gripes with Pantone really have to do with it positioned in a capitalist society and all of the gripes that yeah. we have about that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they're not they're not like a standout in that sense. Um, anyway, uh, so there are um, there are color spaces. So let's talk about that for a second because okay. we we stumbled onto the monster. The, sorry, the Munsell color system. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Munsell color system is a color space. So what the fuck is a color space? Um, okay. It's a specific yes. organization of colors. <laughs> oh, for sure. You define the space by the colors that are included in it. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Of course. That makes sense. Um, so, uh, the idea, the idea of a color space is often to, um, Let's see. How do I put this? Okay, so I'm going to read the Wikipedia article on color space, or I'm going to read the first couple of sentences, and then we'll digest okay. it because they're kind of a mouthful. Um, color space is a, specif- a specific organization of colors in combination with color profiling supported by various physical devices. It supports uh, it supports reproducible representations of color, whether okay. such representations entails an analog or digital representation. Um, a color space may be arbitrary, i.e. with physically uh, realized colors assigned to a set of physical color swatches with corresponding assigned color names, including discrete numbers in, for example, the, pan- the Pantone collection, okay. um, or structured with mathem- mathematical rigor. I love, like, I love oh. Pantone just gets raked over the coals when you actually start reading into, like, a lot of the Wikipedia articles. They're like, yes. it could be arbitrary, like Pantone, or <laughs> it could be structured with ma- mathematical rigor, as with the NCS system, Adobe RGB, or sRGB. A color yeah. space is a useful conceptual tool for understanding the color capabilities of a particular device or digital file. Um, so obviously in a digital age where more and more um, information is being represented in a very digital way, it's important to have a way to capture and describe that. Um, mm-hmm. So so is the, is the idea then <clears throat> to be able to move... <clears throat> God, I have that stupid like fan going again and i'm funny yes impossible to sit in this room without something going wrong you need Um, a humidifier i think i do i need to run a humidifier in front of the fan. yes um so uh what was i going to say um color space idea the idea of that so um yeah i don't know never mind all right well we'll come it'll pop probably right back into your head um so 
Uh, oh, is yes. the point of this to be able to say, like, I witnessed this particular color in real life and I would like to recreate it in the digital sphere and they should be the same when your eyeball looks at them? Yeah. So yeah. Um, in in many ways, this is what the, uh, the ISCC-NBS was trying to establish, right? So when they were around, there was no real co- computing or this idea of um, storing digital image data or right so they were tackling originally they were tackling the idea of um the way that data was stored was it was written in books with the english language or any language but written with characters on pages right and mm-hmm. so um so in order to create a color space that people could use to more accurately represent what they were observing um, or what they intended to observe or what they were intending to convey, they created a, a kind of color space, you could argue. And so now, um, you know, fast forward to 2021, where we live in a very digital, everything is is much more translated into digital experience or digital storage for data. That's our primary mode of data storage. Um, is we need these color spaces to be much more... Um, much more expressive, right? So uh, mm-hmm. when we talk about colors of the day, we're using the um, like a hexadecimal value, but it's essentially an RGB color space. And the RGB color space um, is a pretty standard one that lots of people are familiar with. It's red, green, and blue. And so it's a red, green, and blue value. And mm-hmm. um, traditionally, that RGB color space has a limit on the, num- on, the, on the kinds of colors it can represent. So for instance, yeah. um, each... Each of the values, R, G, or red, green, and blue, can have a value between uh, 1 and 256 or 0 and 255. But essentially, like I, I think the 0 values are more, uh, more telling because if you think of it, if all of the values are 0, then you have black, as in you have no color. Um, like you yes. have no... no um, and then if all of the values are 255, then you have maximum color in each column, and now you have white, Right. Yep. And so they all combine to yes. Yeah. Oh, and we might as well tell people in case they don't know that like when you're talking about like light uh so light reflecting off of something and your eye catching that light and the color that you see is the wavelength that bounces off something. So when when you use different wavelengths of light, they're additive and they add up to all white and when you add things that are physical pigments like paint color or something, they don't turn white they add into a darker color into a dark neutral or black right or dark right. brown um so that that's interesting because depending on which you're talking about the result is opposite <laughs> yeah and so um you can also kind of think about color spaces in the terms of um that issue that the i the iscc dash nbs system was trying to solve which is they were also talking about ways to communicate like translate between systems so when you're mm-hmm. mixing paint it's not the same as, um, you know, if you're doing like stagecraft where you're shining some lights and you're trying to like set the color of the bulbs to, you know, create a lighting space. Um, right. When you're mixing the paint, um, they have a limit on the kinds of values they can manipulate, right? And so mm-hmm. they have they have some base colors and they have different pigments and they can do things to get, get to certain colors. Um, and so, yeah. Uh, so anyway, the the most simplest color space or the one that most people are probably familiar with is the RGB value um, or the RGB color model. Um, the hexadecimal one that we use, I, f- I think that has an actual name. Let me. Oh. Because we've referenced that a lot. And so it'd probably be good to. Um, let me find the. 
Let me find the article. Um, essentially, what that is is uh, man. I opened a lot of articles since since we've been <laughs> uh, here. We go. So the the hex triplet um, is essentially an RGB value that's represented in hexadecimal form. Um, it's just a basically a shorthand for RGB. So you've got um, the the hashtag or the octothorpe or the pound sign or the number sign that just indicates the start of a of a six. Basically, it's a six digit um, RGB value. So two there's two hexadecimal or there's basically a two digit hexadecimal number in each column, like in red, green, and blue, um, and they can vary between zero and F. Right. So FF yep. for a given value is is the highest is two hundred fifty five, and zero zero is zero. Right. Um, Got it. And so, uh, yeah, so you can basically represent 256 value, uh, you know, a range of 256 values for each, each of the red, green, and blue. Um, okay. So, uh, color space, um, where did that go? We went to, color uh, space. color space and color models. I don't know. Let's, that was kind of in my mind. I was wondering like, well, what's the difference? So, um, Essentially, what we were getting to is that um, you can kind of have an arbitrary color space like we talked about with Pantone, or you can have a structured color space with a mathematical rigor. um, And it's a useful conceptual tool for understanding the color capabilities of a particular device or digital file. So um, that is when you take photos with a camera it translates what it sees into a very particular color space. And Mm. so if you're looking for, uh, like if you're buying a digital camera or you're still buying film, knowing what the color space that's available on that film or in that digital camera can can (sighs) affect what you're able to capture in the real world. Um, That makes so much sense. Yeah. So... um, and, oh, how interesting. Yeah, it is very interesting. Um, so uh, a color model. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so all right. So when trying to reproduce color on another device, color spaces can show whether you will be able to retain shadow, highlight, detail, color, saturation, and by how much either will be compromised. So having understanding the color spaces you're coming from and going to is a useful way of knowing whether that photo you just took or that scene that you see, whether you will be able to capture it. And then again, whether you will be able to print it out on your printer or any printer, et cetera, um, or right. be able to reproduce it in any, any way at all. That's the other thing. Your camera might be able to capture a color space that your monitor can't display. Right. Um, and so what you see on the, what you saw and what's captured on the file isn't necessarily even represented on the screen on your computer after you look at the file later. Um, right. That said, uh, most people probably, you know, most of the color spaces are expansive enough that most people don't really think about that too much. Um, Although if you've never really thought about this and you look at several different screens in your life, like maybe you have a cell phone, you've got a computer, you've got something on your toaster, you've got something on your dashboard. um, (laughs) You're the computer built into the side of your fridge. Yeah, whatever. Or someone else's computer. You may you may have encountered this where. Or like, you know, playing images on your TV or watching a movie on your laptop versus your TV, um, Mm -hmm. you may notice it may become more apparent. Um, I notice this a lot. Like I have a projector, an older projector that um, doesn't have a very good color space. It's fine. It's very utilitarian. It's great for watching movies on the wall or whatever. But um, 
sometimes we watch movies like with friends or something and they're like, man, what's with these colors? And it's like, yeah, they're, they're not like the subtleties are lost sometimes. And sometimes right. things that look normal in a good display get weirdly blown out or like displayed in a really weird way. Um, People will know you, you've I'm sure most people have experienced this. It's experienced this at some point. And if you haven't or you haven't thought about it, it's just this is why or this is part of that problem. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, so that's you're the, not crazy. You're not crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so um, a color model is an abstract mathematical model describing the way colors can be represented as tuples of numbers, e.g. triples in RGB or quadruples in CMYK. Um However, a color model with no associated mapping function to an absolute color space is more or less arbitrary color system with no connection to any globe, globally understood system of color interpretation. So mm. an absolute color space. Um, uh, so in color science, there are two meanings to the term absolute color space. Um, so there's uh, a color space with perceptual difference between colors is directly related to distances between colors as represented by points in the color space, i.e. a uniform color space. Um, A color space in which colors are unambiguous, that is where the interpretations of colors in the space are colorimetrically defined without reference to external factors. Mm. Um, Man, that is a mouthful. Uh, it is. That's confusing. That is a little confusing. Let's look at the first part. Um, okay. A color, so a color space in which the per- perceptual differences between colors is directly related to distances between colors. So what are what is difference? Distance or difference between colors? Um, it's a metric of of interest in color science. Oh, well, that's yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So quantification <laughs> of these properties is of great importance to those who work in. Co- it, uh, who work with colors. Um, so there's common definitions make use of the Euclidean distance um, in a device independent color space. So Euclidean distance is basically like the, like if you took geometry, the length of a line, right? Um, yes. You know, if you're looking at an X, Y coordinate and you have one point that is at, you know, X zero, Y one, and you have another point that is at X four, Y one, then you know that the distance is four, right? Like, Right. um, But, you know, anyway, so that so that's what I think that's what they mean is that if you kind of graph the color, um, they're talking about distances between values. Um, Right. And uh, and on a graph, because it's mathematical, there's a specific like unit or units of measurement that are the common denominator. And so, however, like the distance between yellow and green is the number of shades along that evenly distributed mathematical Plane? Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So if you're talking about um, the RGB system, which is a really easy one to reference, um, you have basically a three dimensional point, or you have three dimensional points. Each each point okay. in that plane in that volume um, mm-hmm. has an R value, a G value, and a B value. So you can think of that as X Y Z or RGB. Doesn't matter. Each one of those can be plotted on a you know in their respective on their respective line and then create a point in a volume. And then you can, if you have two color values, you can measure the distance between them. And so that's kind of what they're talking about um, when they're talking about uh, in the term absolute color space, uh, they're talking about the perceptual difference between colors as being directly related to the distance Distance. between one color value and another as represented in that sort of that, that graph. 
that three-dimensional yep. graph. Um, so the other one, um, mm-hmm. a color space in which colors are unambiguous, that is where the interpretations of colors in the space are colometrically defined without reference to external factors. That I'm really not sure. That's confusing. Yeah. Um, well, no, I'm not. Okay. How am I going to, how am I going to interpret or how am I going to help explain this? So say that again, read it again. Um, hang on. I've lost it now. Where was that? (laughs) We've lost the narrative thread. (laughs) Let me. Okay. So not there. I'll tell something about a narrative thread while you're looking for that. I found it. Okay. Yeah. No, do please talk about narrative thread while I, I'm wearing a very colorful, what are the distances between the colors on the shawl that I'm wearing over my hat so that I don't expose myself to any UV light because I had my face peeled off? Oh. What's the color of my lobster face? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, we could... Uh, I look like a very colorful cousin it right now. Yes. Just, yeah. I'm just like a pile of veils. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's fantastic um okay so you found your thing yeah yeah so okay so um all right well what does it mean which colors are unambiguous which means that they're the the colors are distinct how we distinguish between them i'm not sure but it's unambiguous which means that there are there's distinctions between the two colors um okay and then it says car go by Yes. Yeah. That was somebody like driving a million miles an hour down my tiny street. Holy shit. What the hell? Sorry. Okay. okay. Unambiguous color. Yeah. So an- unambiguous color. So uh, where the interpretations of colors in the space are colometrically defined. So colorometrically defined. What the fuck does that mean? Um, so uh, colometric analysis is the idea, uh, a method of determining the concentration of a chemical element or chemical compound. Ah, okay. That's not what we're... I think what they're basically saying is it's a method of determining the value of the color. Um, that's it. They're just Got saying it. that um, you're, you've colometrically determined a value of a color um, without reference to external factors. That part I don't actually get. Um, yeah. That, but I don't understand that either. I kind of want to go on from this because I think uh, it's probably not that relevant to the conversation. Yeah. I think the important thing was just um, a color model with no association. So where we were was we were talking about color models. And we, we talked about color models like RGB, like triplet color models or mm-hmm. quadruple color models. So uh, the two main color models that you'll probably encounter if you work in art and design, especially if you work in design, or any kind of digital formats, um, the RGB value, which we discussed a little bit, uh, there's the CMYK color model. So the CMYK color model. That's the one I'm familiar with. um, That one is essentially, um, it's it's often used more in printing. um, And it works by partially or entirely masking colors on a lighter, unusually white background. Um, So basically it's designed to be like, you know, you're coloring, you're starting from a white piece of paper. Right. Um, and it's, so it's a subtractive color model, which means that, um, yeah. So yeah, go on and explain that. I like, I, you made me think of something. Okay. Yeah. So it's based on, on the CMY color model. So the CMY color model, 
um, is also a subtractive color model, which is a three color model, um, which you have cyan, magenta, and yellow pigments. Um, and so you're basically uh, the three subtractive primary colors. So um, mm -hmm. subtractive primary colors, so primary colors um, or subtractive primary color mixing is basically uh, you're basically removing bits of light from white. Right. Or you're removing. Yes. You're removing so color you're, from the your... more colors you you manifest, the f the fewer and fewer options you have. So like in additive colors, like when you have light yep. on a monitor, the more colors you add, the closer you get to white. Right. Because white is all of the colors all of the time. Um, and so when you are the subtractive method, if I understand this correctly, is that the more colors you use, the less options you have, like you're selecting for and eliminating other colors in the process. Is that right? Uh, wait, say that again. You're so like when you're talking about mixing colors in light waves, it's an additive process yes. because the more colors you have, the the more the closer you get, get to, to white, white yes. which is having right. all of the colors. But with a printing technique, when you elect for one color, you're ruling out and eliminating other colors. I'm, it, whereas with light, you're just adding. More yes. Colors. Yeah. Yeah. So the CMYK is kind of the the sort of antithesis of RGB a little bit or the kind of yes. the alternative approach. Um, so, uh, so CMYK basically the K I believe um, black. is black. And yep. so your uh, CMYK is all about ink printing, which means that you're adding your, the more ink you add, the darker it gets. And mm -hmm. so, um, and then you use K to further change your, value right to make it darker or lighter beyond that um yeah so uh yeah uh so anyway cmyk those are kind of the two color spaces or the kind of color models um and so we came here from uh to go back a little bit more um how did we get here we got here <laughs> how did we get here we were looking at the uh we were talking about the um system the uh, the icss system right um <laughs> just like arrow arrows, just arrows. god i just have like so many pages open now hold on a second <laughs> um all right so uh anyway uh, we were talking about colors and web colors and pantone mm -hmm. yeah pantone and then we were talking about the isc the iscc nbs system so anyway the is the iscc.nbs system um is this kind of idea of of it's it's an early attempt to create a color model that it that can be or like a it's not a color model it's a color space or it's space, kind of it's not right. really a color space either it's a language like it's a way to translate colors into um verbal and written description right originally and i think it's been it's gotten a little more than that but anyway that is uh our take on that's how you go from uh you go from the ugliest <laughs> color um which is that uh pantone what is it four four eight eight c or four four it is uh four four eight space c yep yeah so, so there's a space between the eight and the c yeah <laughs> and uh and so you go to the ugliest color and then you find out all about this other exciting stuff um <laughs> yeah so again let's uh 
I think we're good there. I don't know. We can yeah. talk about color. That was forever. a very that was a very in depth dis- discussion of colors, yeah, and color spaces, and yeah, making colors happen. I had a real I had a really good time. Um, this is a good one. Yeah. So I think uh, I don't know if we have any other housekeeping. As always, we'd love to hear from you. Um, you can email our wonderful executive assistant Dana. That's D A N A at fcbm.io. I, we're on various social media, but at this point, neither you or I really use it. So um, mm-hmm. if you want to get a hold of us, email is an amazing way to do it. Um, yes. I mean, we have, an, uh, we have that website, fcbm.io. If you go there, you can, you can also find ways to contact us if you forget. Um, right. But I don't know. If you're listening to our podcast, you probably are aware of how to get a hold of us <laughs> at this point. Um, I Let's see. I think that's it. I have noticed um, our like our listenership is growing slowly. Like That's we have, it's so weird to amazing me. Amazing to me. Yeah. Who are you people who listen to us? Yes. Yeah. Like what is the deal with that and why and who and what? Um, and you also just who you are. great. I'm, I'm really delighted that you're listening. So we appreciate it. Um, right. Yeah. So uh, I think that's it. We have, um, we definitely have like, wow, I'm just looking at the, the statistics for iTunes and mm-hmm. we've definitely like they're starting to, re- the problem with iTunes is we were, we didn't have enough listeners to really get any kind of. Um, oh, we need a, a large enough volume. Of- yeah. Cause they won't give you data if it's a low number because it's a privacy issue, right? Where it's like, mm-hmm. if you, um, if, if you have listener like if there's only three listeners reported it's much easier for us to figure out who they were um sure because i can look on the server and see ip addresses and things like that and and not that we do any of that to be clear um the only metrics we collect if you're like we don't collect the metrics if you go through itunes then they're collecting metrics and i'm just looking at them um if you go through spotify if you use any of those services if you read if you take the feed directly from our website fcbm.io and add it to your podcast player then you can be very assured that very little data is being collected i think i think we use google analytics on the website but we only use that for basically hit counting um Mm -hmm. And if you have an issue with that, I'd love to hear from you about that. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm not married to that. It's just been, it was just kind of the easier thing to just find out, you know, I'm curious, like, do people give a shit? Um, yeah. Interestingly, like, I, so there's been, um, iTunes now reports that we've had 512 listeners. Unique listeners? Well, no, sorry, 512 plays. Okay. Um, 57 listeners. I don't know how that is determined. Um, yeah. So, Interesting. well, 57 unique devices, um, whatever that means. So anyway, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um, <laughs> yeah, so it's that's one cool. person with like a ton of burner phones. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> oh God. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah um all right anyway uh yeah please oh uh color of the day like we should do yes what is our actual april 30th 2021 color of colors of the day what are they all right um i think i think this what do you think about this one hold on uh yeah i think this is it let me send it to you in the message um okay so 
Uh, this color of the day is the um, so our we have two colors. Oh! Untroubled Verge. Yep. Which is a less a less ugly color than um, the ugliest color. Uh, Untroubled Verge is kind of a brown, and it's it's a hex hex triple hex value. It's- it's a great brown. It's the color of like Mexican hot chocolate. Yes, yeah. So this is a um, this is a Octothorpe seven nine four one two four, and that is a um, this is much more of a neutral tone brown or neutral value brown. Um, it's much more of a red brown. Like it's yes, more I was the red just going to sp- yeah. say that. Um, it's pretty pleasant. I like it, and it's got a um, it's got a complementary color uh, that is scented Pompeii. Scented Pompeii. <laughs> the hex value is um, Octothorpe eight six Bravo Echo Delta Bravo. That's eight yeah. six Bravo Echo Delta Bravo. What I like about this color combination is actually this is one of my. This is one of my favorites. How would I categorize this? How would I describe this? I have a lot of favored color combinations. And one yeah. of my favorite is any kind of like a nice rich brown color with a pastel paired with it. So like what we're looking at here is this sort of appetizing chocolatey brown color paired with like a very subtle, like just a couple of shades or hues off of Robin's egg blue. Yes. Yeah. And so, and if it was like light green, like a seafoam green or like a, like a pastel pink, I think it would look really good too. I love browns and pastels together. Yeah. 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 It's a really, it's a great color combination. Um, I think, you know, if you're listening to this today and you, you want to get these colors out and put them in your life, uh, you won't be disappointed. Yeah. It's very Eastery. It's very, um, I actually, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Like this is the, um, this is the color of the wrapper around the chocolate egg. Yeah. Or like the bunny that you bite the head off the of. The bunny you bite the head off of. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Decapitated bunny brown. Uh huh. Yep. Chocolate bunny. Chocolate, chocolate bunny. bunny. Chocolate bunny. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah and scented pompeii like the fact that the the name of this blue color is scented pompeii makes me think of when i was a little kid in my grandma's bathroom she had um like pastel colored toilet paper and she had a blue pastel toilet paper and sometimes she had pink depending but it was either blue or pink and she had the the actual like um roll holder that you slide the toilet paper roll over and then yeah. like click it back in the wall that was like hollow and had these little scented beads in it that every time you spun the toilet paper to pull a piece off it would spin and agitate the little beads and the little beads would re- like release fragrance oh interesting which i think i remember my mom freaking out about uh-huh because she's like you shouldn't use toilet paper with dye in it and it shouldn't be scented and i remember thinking like well it's not scented the roll holder is scented yes it's in the whatever. little my grandmother had one of those yeah yeah like it was fantastic plasticky yeah i mean it was just beads yeah. yeah why why don't they make those anymore do they make them maybe anymore? they I do want one i yeah i mean i think uh scented i've got to look at this now scented toilet <laughs> roll i mean holder. if this has oh gone God, out of yes no, if they exist. Okay. They exist. Absolutely. You can mm-hmm. get, I mean, they look almost exactly the same as they always did. Yep. Um, yep. I can, you can get some Fox Valley Traders lavender scented toilet roll holder set of three for $11. So there you go. Wow. Yeah. 
I I kind of want I kind of want one of these now. I know I do too. <laughs> Just I want to be I will become my grandmother. Yes, we should all become our grandmothers. Our grandmothers were part of like the tough as hell generation that got us here. They yep, were great. Yep. Yeah, they were my fantastic. Badass. Um. All right. Uh, yes. I was well. I just so I just did this thing. <laughs> I thought, oh, I'm just going to Google Untroubled Verge and see what Google has to say about Untroubled Verge. <laughs> and um, and obviously, like you can immediately see how it landed on this. But there's an article called "Terrorism as Art." Uh, oh God! Published in 2012, but it was published by The Verge, so or on The Verge, like um, hmm. so uh. Yeah, I mean, this is so this is from 2012. Terrorism is art. Mark Pauline's Dangerous Machines, Robots, Rebellion, and the Post-Apocalyptic Performance Art of Surveillance Research Labs. Um, wow. Yeah, I mean, that's a whole nother podcast right there. I um, wrote it down. We'll get there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, anyway, I don't know. That's all. That's all I got. You got Sweet. any? Yeah. Well, we've done some amazing work here today. We covered a lot of ground, and we even talked about mathematical rigor. Yes, we did. Yeah. I mean, this was pretty disciplined. (laughs) Mathematical rigor in direct opposition to the Pantone system. (laughs) Right. If you like color systems that have some kind of like sensibility and reason to them, you should not go with Pantone. I feel like Pantone is just like one person obsessively like making an overblown website and like, like convincing the world that it's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, there's somebody in a hamster wheel somewhere just running in circles. But I also. (laughs) A big hamster wheel. Right. A a person sized hamster wheel. A yeah. yellow and gray person-sized hamster wheel. I mean, I have to imagine like the reality of Pantone as a company is that it's mostly a lot of workers who manage accounts for companies and they're mm-hmm. working with other people who manage accounts for that company. Like it's like a lot of, you know, these big corporations and there's just these cogs in wheels sort of interacting and it like a lot of them are probably like, I don't really bother looking at where I am because I know where I am. There's no point. Like, it's not, you know, it's not like, <laughs> like, I know exactly where I am. Like, my job is to take the TPS reports down to the, or whatever. Like, I take the requirements down the hall and deliver them to the thing. Like, and I remember in that movie, um, what was that Office movie called? Space. Office Space. Yes. I remember when he said that and I remember thinking like, A, how arbitrary and absurd it sounded, yeah. but then B, how... Like how accurate, but also important. Like the thing that really cracked me up was like, it's like, yeah, but, but that is a job. Like that's not, you know, you can make it seem (laughs) trivial and unimportant, but also like, you know, you're the fuckers who created this whole system in the first place. And we're all just trying to fit in somewhere where we can get on with our lives. Yeah. And you just come along and just... Yeah, role as if it's something I created. Yeah, like I'm the one who like woke up one morning and decided this is what I want to do with my life. Right. Um, yeah. Anyway, I don't. Doesn't yeah. he get upset about having people skills too? Yeah, I think so. Yes, I have people skills. Yeah. I think what really You're bothered shocked. me about that was that it it kind of I felt like it was like I felt like some people might interpret that as like a a mocking of people who do those jobs or people who sit in jobs that are basically arbitrary and kind of right. um 
And I felt like I'm like, that's fucked up because capitalism is just basically created a lot of those jobs for everyone. And that's the best we can do to survive in the world. Like, yes. And it's like, I don't I don't think that, you know, you were like, if really your only job is to sit there and fucking push a button like three times a week. Good for you. Like, yeah, you know, you got other things interesting going on, I hope. And if you don't tell us what you'd like to have interesting going on. I mean, I don't know. Yes. Like work is just not it can't be who you are. Even no, though can't. capitalism sells it to you like that is the way it is, but right. Really There's also not. like whenever I hear politicians ca- talking about like we need more jobs, we need more jobs. I'm like, the, a job is the opposite of what I want. Right. What's this like work as virtue bullshit? Oh God, work as virtue such a is lie. really. It is such a lie. It's such a lie because it's not. It, it really annoys me that it's like that is viewed as the way that you contribute to society. That's mm-hmm. not how you contribute to society. That's how you make money for the man. Like, that's literally how you feed it right up the fucking power. Tr- like, right. you going to work is making someone else a lot of money in 99% of the jobs. Yep. Not, and you, not, you're be- it's just you being exploited mm-hmm. because they're, you're, you know, they're like, well, you don't want to be homeless. Like, the fear of, of all the other shit, right? Like, all the things right. about you have to have a good job or you need to do something you love or all of these other things are just things that seem more repressive than ever but anyway yeah like when i bought a house one of my bosses insinuated that like oh now i have to like do a really good job so i don't get fired because i have the responsibility of a mortgage and i was like is that a threat did you just like threaten yeah it's just fucked what the fuck so fucked also i walked out on that job so jokes on them yeah (laughs) good for you (laughs) bad (laughs) for them coming for nine fucking years Uh. (laughs) i I had a lot of time to think about it By the end of a decade, I was really ready to go. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. That's so funny. That that reminds me a lot of the Office Space movie, actually. was mm-hmm. just, I mean, we were still using fax machines with extreme regularity in 2016. Mm-hmm. The paper kind. Right. Not like right. an e-fax. Right, right. Yeah. What the fuck? Oh. Also, we kept kept a bunch of like hard copy paper files, like Uh five years worth of them or something going backwards in the basement. And then the basement flooded. Oh, shit. (laughs) Because the downspout for the flat roof that drained all of the runoff from storms and such, Uh the downspout was angled into the driveway into the parking lot. And our CEO had to park in his special, special spot which was adjacent to the downspout. And every time it rained and he had to get out of his car, he had to step in a river and he hated that. So one day he just pulled the downspout off and it flooded the whole Uh, building. uh, I am now, well, I think for a long time I was the only person who knew that it was him who did it. Uh Uh-huh. But. Oh, that is, that is awful and hilarious. Yeah. He was, a for that and many other reasons, he was one of the worst bosses I've ever had. I can imagine. Yeah. All right. Um, on that note, I think we got a little bonus overtime there for you. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, um, I did hear uh, people like the longer episodes. A few people like the fans, the people I've heard yeah. from, some friends of mine, and some people who listen. They prefer the longer ones. But um, we just go and, and go and go. And also, my friend's dog prefers the longer ones. <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of humans and also some dogs prefer long episodes. Got right. It. Check. Yeah. We'll just we'll just drone on. Right. Uh, I um, I have planted lots of stuff in my garden. Yeah, uh, that's exciting. Yeah, I. That's Let's tell why, us about that before we go. 
Well, uh, I planted a bunch of flowers out front. Yeah. Um, and uh, I put in some annual flowers because they are very inexpensive and they're already blooming and you just stick them in the ground and there they are. And then I've also spread a ton of red clover seed so that I'll have red clover all over my yard instead of grass, which needs to be mowed and taken care of and watered. And red clover doesn't need any of those things. Um, so I've spread that everywhere. And then along the property lines around the exterior of the the yard where there's a fence, I have sprinkled copious amounts of pollinator-friendly um, seed mix for native um, flowers that come up here in Minnesota. And then also um, a guilty pleasure of mine, which is Cosmos. And I got some pink and white Cosmos flowers, oh, cool. which I also sprinkled everywhere. Yeah. Um, and then I'm growing some swamp milkweed for the swallowtails and monarch butterflies and... I've got a bunch of herbs for the raised bed that we're putting in when they come and grind out our old stump from the spruce tree that we had removed because it was very old and it was at the end of its life cycle. And so we have a bunch of like wood now that we can burn and make woodworking projects out of from that tree. Cool. And um, and I have, oh my gosh, so many tomatoes going already because I started those back in like December and January. Nice. So those are in pots now out in the yard. And yeah, there's so much stuff going. I've been watering the apple trees and they're all in bloom now. I bought some um, black bamboo seeds that I want to try and propagate. And then I've got, um, sadly, my uh, mimosa pudica, which if you don't know what that is, it's like a sensitive plant. They're pretty cool. Like when you touch them, the leaves like retract really quickly. Um, Sadly, it did not make it through the winter. It almost did, but um, it just kind of... It, it's weird. I think I need to just find a better place for it um, that mm. like works all year round because it needs a lot of sun. But when I put it outside in the winter, um, I think because I'm up on the second story, like the wind kind of just dries it out too much or something. Oh, for um, sure. I don't know. I'll have to figure something out. But anyway, I've got plenty more seeds for that. So I'm going to start some more on that front and then Good. start the black bamboo and pots on my balcony and see how that goes. Because I think they'd make a pretty fun screen. I wanted to get some... Um, have you ever seen Buddha belly bamboo? No. What's so Buddha belly bamboo is like, it's a pretty cool bamboo. Basically, if you're familiar with bamboo at all, you can, it like grows in nodes, right? Like there's a node and yes. then it like has a stretch and then there's another node. So Buddha be- belly bamboo, basically at the start of each node, it like pooches out in a little Buddha belly before it goes up to the oh. next node. And so it just has this like really pleasing kind of like curviness cool. to it. That's um, pretty fun. Yeah. So that's super cool. I saw one at my local nursery, but they wanted like hundreds of dollars. And I was oh. like, that's absurd. Bamboo grows. It's grass. Yeah. Bamboo grows like insanity. So I'm yeah. not, I'm not paying hundreds of dollars for it. There's something really nuts about like people. Well, everybody wants to monetize everything. Right. And now yeah. all of a sudden, like super pedestrian fucking house plants are selling for hundreds of dollars a piece because some dickhead on Instagram is like, look at this plant I yes. photographed against a beige wall. Right. Yes. And everybody's like, I'll pay $100 for that so I can take a photograph it and put it on my Instagram too. Right, right. Oh, God, the worst. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the word influencer, just just whoever yeah. needs to hear this. The word influencer is synonymous with unpaid advertising employee. Wait, what? Yeah, like if you're an influencer and you get like kickbacks from brands and stuff, basically Uh what you're doing is you're a marketing professional who's working at well below market rate. Oh, God. Well, think about it. No, I mean, I yeah, like, no, absolutely. I just never really – it's – 
I often thought about like influencers as being the pinnacle of um of spec work. Mm, yes. Where it's just yep. sort of like you just keep doing you and if we really like what you're doing we'll throw some money your way or we'll throw right. we'll throw some kind of value like at you. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, um I mean that's the worst thing. Like I one of the worst things I think is where people people assign dollar values to things that they are giving you that actually isn't costing them that dollar value. And now you're super locked into a particular like gift cards are the worst offenders in this regard in some ways, Mm. because oftentimes you can like a gift card, like a gift card as a, as a service for a company is like amazing for them because Every gift card that's bought meant they get that for full dollar value right now. And then right. and then it sits in their bank account doing whatever. And the odds of you as a consumer spending the entire dollar amount in any reasonable time frame or if ever are yeah. not 100%. And that's right. all that matters because that means that no matter what they get their value, because no matter what they get that money, they get it right now and, and they may get it for nothing and they may get it for nothing or they may get like, you know, up to some percentage of it for free. And it's just mm-hmm. like, God, like this is just the worst. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. It's yeah. like people are so vain and like so um arrogant that they think that just being them is something people should pay them for and it's yes. like well yeah which positions you to be exploited tremendously by people who are like yeah i love your stuff instead uh-huh. of saying you were gonna give you 16 lipsticks and you're like great can't eat that <laughs> right can't buy diapers with fucking sample lipstick you know what i mean <laughs> yes. i mean i don't get sample lipstick from anybody i don't influence jack shit because i think social media is fucking terrible <laughs> right yes so, but yeah i was uh i was reading i've been reading a number of stories about people who like oh like the infamous lula row pants right yes yeah My sister-in-law had some friend who was like a lula row consultant which basically meant like you get a bunch of inventory from this company that makes this stuff for next to no money in some sweatshop. And then you try and hawk it to your friends, but you have to buy it first, just like Mary Kate, right? So, so it's, it's, like, it's a multi-level, like parties. it's yeah, multi-level it's, marketing. I mean, it's, totally it's not a pyramid scheme, but it's multi-level marketing, right? Like, right. Anyway, and yeah. like, I think a lot of people who are like supposed influencers are like inflating what appears to be their worth as such. But yes. it's really like the case is that like on the back end, they're basically going bankrupt because they're, they're putting in a ton of labor yeah and they're trading on whatever social capital they have with their friends and family right but they're getting less than nothing for it (laughs) right (laughs) so nuts yeah um so yeah i was reading like the this like lula row company would have like these conferences and stuff and people would show up and it's just like mary Kay or like these other places where there's one person who made a fuck ton of money and they're like anybody can do it if i can do it and it's like no the the scheme is set up so that only one person can do it that's how it works math (laughs) how much you want it doesn't have anything to do with it and so um yeah, there's always somebody who's like, this is amazing. And I made $60,000 a month selling these, like, whatever, Chinese polyester pants. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know? Yes. Um, 
whatever. But yeah, like all these women who would like go to these events and then like they were super clicky and everybody was really shitty to them emotionally and like, uh-huh. whatever. And then they realized like, oh, I don't know why I've been running my ass off for nothing. It's like I feel kind of bad, but at the same time, I'm like, how does this keep happening to people? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. How do you I mean, not see the pattern? <laughs> right. Matter if it's pants or Tupperware or lipstick in a like pink car, like it, it's all the same. <laughs> It's so funny. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe we need to do an episode on that a little bit. Um, yes, MLMs and stuff. I had a I had a friend. Um, not it was a little while ago now. Um, we might have even talked about it on the podcast. Yes, because I we might have, but we de- you and I definitely talked about it. Yeah. I anyway. It was just it, he was so. I felt bad because like I think he didn't realize like he the way that they had kind of got him roped into it. And my understanding is like he hadn't actually, first of all, I think this was the first time he'd really ever been exposed to it, like in an immediate, like in front of your face kind of way. Mm, yes. um, and I think too, it was like somebody, the person who um, was trying to rope him into it was like a friend who was like, you know, maybe like either in his like church or some kind of, you know, somehow like socially associated where it was like he was kind of you know, it was hard to say no and it was hard to, and you know, and when I listened to their pitch, I was like, oh, this is like, you know, they really get you um, going for a little while because they're, they don't want to tell you what it is. Whereas for me, I was like, as soon as they wouldn't even say what the industry was that they were involved yes, in, you're like, I was out. like, I was like, okay, well, <laughs> I was, I was going to say I was out, but this was my friend. I'm like, well, I'm going to show up and, and help him, you know, at least see what's going on here. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so when they pitched it to me, I was like, wait, so let me get this straight. I have to read this book first that just is more hype about what, how great it's going to be when I have a bunch of money. And then you're going to tell me about what, how we're going to actually make that money. And he's like, no, no, no. I mean, it's, you know, this is, we're talking about long-term investment for your family and all this stuff. And he was playing the, like, it was definitely trying to appeal to my, like, you know, provide for my family and be a man and like be able to put my kids through college. And I was like, well, I don't have any kids. And um, he's like, well, you know, like you want to own a home. And I was like, I don't know. I mean, you know, anyway, at the time it was pretty hilarious because I was working a lot as a software contractor and my schedule was like, you know, I think I was just about to go off to Germany for three months to fuck around yes. or like for a month yes, and a half or whatever. Yes, that's right. And I, and I was like, you know, I was, he's like, well, when do you want to meet again? I was like, whenever you guys want. And he's like, well, how about, you know, I was like middle of the day. I like picked a couple days like later. I was like, I mean, I'll skim through this book and come back and talk to you some more. Um, I mean, I already knew what it was. I just yeah. figured for the sake of my friend, I was like, let's, you know, let's go down this rabbit hole. And, um, and I was, I was like, well, when do you guys want to meet? And and then he, I, he, I mentioned like some, like, I was like, we could get coffee in the morning around 10. And then I kind of looked at him and I was like, oh, right. You both work. Right. So both have where's jobs. all this wealth that you're talking about? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I mean, I also worked, but I was, you know, had a very flexible schedule and, um, well, which right, I appreciate. Were, like, I, I don't mean right. to like, it was just in that moment. I was like, you guys are f- like, not so much you guys. It was like this. I was like, you're doing this weird flex shit. And I'm like, I don't mm-hmm. like, I, it's gross anyway. But here, if we want to flex, look, I don't have to work tomorrow. Let's go do this. You want to go sail? We can go on my boat. boat. We can go get on my boat and talk about all this money we're going to make or whatever it is. Um, anyway, I, it was pretty clear after that. Uh, my friend, like, really, he apologized. He's like, I'm so sorry. I was like, yeah, it's okay. Like, if, I didn't realize this was, you know. When I first got into it, I was like, I know, I know what this is going to be, but now I've confirmed it. Um, anyway. Right. Well, they made it sound like when you first explained the scenario to me and recounted the tale of meeting with these people. Yes. It made it, the, the way it sounded to me was they were trying to 
sell this to you as this like secret, awesome backdoor way to get everything you've ever wanted. Like lots of time off of work because you have so much money and you could like take yeah. vacations and go sailing and you're like, well, I already have that boat and I have a job where I contract. So that makes it easy to have free time when I need it. And also I'm uh-huh. going to Germany. So right, right. Yes. like if you want to talk more about this stuff, we can, but yeah. you know, <laughs> it's like I've already got everything you're offering me. Yes. And I yeah. and I don't have to have a job on top of that. Right. <laughs> like you have. Yes. yes. <laughs> you're yeah. like hustling this weird MLM on the side and you can't meet about it during the day because you're at your day slave wage job, whatever, day job. <laughs> right, right. It was just like <laughs> You guys are uh, not doing a good job of selling this. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny too because like the idea was like oh you need all this money to be able to have these things and it's like y- you have more money than i have but i don't think either of, rich- of us are what we would consider rich no people. no like, not at all it's... these things without massive piles of money yeah you like you can make your life in a certain way yeah like you really don't have to especially if you're willing to like give up the illusion of some kind of weird consumerism thing um yeah, yeah so yeah yeah I I'm looking forward to sailing on that boat again in a couple of months. Oh fuck yeah, it's going to be great. Me too. Looking Amazing. forward to it. Okay, let's. Uh, we really we really pushed the overtime there. Okay. Anyway, well, you're thanks. welcome, doggy. Thanks. Yeah, thanks everybody for listening. And uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs>